Hello, and welcome to Talk Julia. My name is David Amos. And my name is Randy Davila. Randy, it's good to be back another week. Before we jump into the topics here, I just want to kind of a, a public service announcement for our listeners. Our Talk Julia podcast should now be available on pretty much every podcast platform out there. You can go to our website at www.talkjulia.com and we've got links there right on the front page uh, or on the, on the subscribe page where you can get a link to uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and I'll be adding links to other uh, services as well. And if you're listening to this on our website or if you're watching it on YouTube and there is a specific podcast app that you would like to, to use and you're not able to find it, when you search for us, just uh, let us know. You can email us email us at talkjuliapodcast at gmail.com. Let us know and we'll get it submitted and, and try to get it all set up there. So let's go ahead and jump in. I'll start with the first topic. And that is this Julia in the Classroom resource that's on the official Julia Language GitHub repository. This is a really fantastic resource that lists where Julia is being used in the classroom at uh, primarily universities I've seen on here. And it's got links uh, most of them anyways have links to the course web pages. So you can go there and see, you know, the notes and stuff like that and maybe get some inspiration for using it. So if you're a, a professor, a teacher and interested in using Julia in your classroom, this could be a really great resource to get some insight, see how other people are doing it, get some inspiration. You can also add your class to this list. So at the very bottom of the page, there is a little note that says that if you'd like to add your class to the list, you can open a GitHub issue or pull request to get that added there. So Randy, I think you ought to try to add your class to this. I know I really need to. I didn't even know about this until you brought it up to me. And I, especially a few years back when I was using Julia in my machine learning course, I wish I would have known about this. I probably just was too lazy and didn't search around enough like you did, but well, yeah, I, I definitely need to get on that. I didn't search for it. So I, I happened to see it on Twitter, thanks to James Fairbanks is the, the person that uh, tweeted it. And I saw the link and thought it was just, you know, a really good thing to mention here on the podcast, get the word out for that. And there's all sorts of cool stuff in here, you know, numerical analysis, there's some physics stuff, uh, optimization, new, uh, yeah, game, game theory, network optimization, I don't know, all sorts of cool stuff. So Definitely check it out if you're uh, if you're teaching Julia or running a course using Julia as the primary language, and uh, see if there's something up there where you could you could get some. And get some how help. do you uh, how do you get your course on there again? So it says to please open an issue or a pull request, and we'll we'll add a link to this in the show notes. So if you, if you want to go see this uh, or or get your class added to it, you can do that. Issue is probably the easiest thing to do. I don't know if there's like a, a specific template or not, if, if you click the link, it takes you to issues. Yeah, you can just uh, open a new issue and add that there, you know, say you want to add your class to that file. And if, if you don't, if you know how to make a pull request, that's probably the best way to do it. You could go ahead and just add it to the file and, and they can merge that in if, if they like it. Um, otherwise, if you don't know how to make a pull request, probably there's a nice person somewhere in the Julia organization that'll help you with that or point you to a resource. So. Nice. I'll definitely try to do that this semester since I will be using Julia in at least one of my machine learning courses. Yeah, awesome. And actually, uh, on that note, um, I'm excited about my topic. So I don't want to interrupt you. Go ahead and... <laughs> no, that's it. I was about to hand it, hand it off to you. So go ahead and, and what do you got for us? Okay, so what I wanted to talk about was a data set that I found 
this past fall. So this past fall, I was teaching a machine learning course at Rice University. Of course, the name was Data Science Machine Learning. And I started getting project submissions on a data set that I hadn't seen before. And it was a data set consisting of measurements on these three different species of penguins, which automatically I'm like somewhat psyched on because penguins are cool and I watch like bloopers of them on YouTube and on Instagram. So <laughs> I started looking into it more and apparently this Palmer penguins data set collected by Allison Horst, Allison Hill, and Kristen Gorman is similar to this famous IRIS data set, often referred to as the hello world of machine learning data sets or um, the hello world of statistical data sets. So the IRIS data set I am very familiar with. I teach with that all the time. Yeah. But apparently this Palmer's Penguin, Palmer Penguins data set is very similar. And through trying to like figure out more about this data set, I stumbled across a Julia package in the, it's, it's a registered package called palmerpenguins.jl. Okay. And this package is really easy to, um, to uh, add. You just go to your package manager, add it, and then in the Julia REPL or whatever IDE that you're using, just type in using Palmer Penguins and then load the Palmer Penguins data set with the palmerpenguins.load function. Now, this data set is interesting from an instructor's point of view for several reasons. And I'm going to try to contrast it with the iris data set since it seems to be relatively similar, but I want to really emphasize the differences. Yeah. So the iris data set from the majority of the ways that you can load it in using Python is often loaded in as a data frame or something that's really clean and tabular already. Mm -hmm. Whereas the palmerpenguins.jl package loads it in as a CSV file. So this is kind of important for students to see that not all data that you're exposed to is going to be cleanly formatted for you. And right. if you can see my screen right now, you'll see that we have this csv.file Julia type on my screen, and it looks like a mess. You can't really see what's going on at all. So you'd have to, you know, convert this to a data frame and maybe manipulate it a little bit and gain appreciation for the fact that people have made data frames and are in Python and in Julia using dataframes.jl. So when you load this data set, it comes in as a mess. You can convert it to a data frame, a Julia data frame. And then you see that you have a little bit more variety in the measurements of each instance of a penguin, more so than each instance of an iris flower in the iris data set. So the iris data set, if you don't know, consists of four different measurements of these flowers, and there's three different species. This penguins data set, the Palmer penguins data set, consists of four different measurements of penguins, along with three different categorical measurements. So the, cate the categories, so category one would be like the species, the next category would be what island they were on, and the next category would be the sex of the penguin. So you have a little bit more variety than the iris data set. So already I'm like, okay, this is, this is nice because when teaching machine learning, I, I'd like to use a single data set to really nail down all the fundamentals of the algorithms on, and I'd like different types of classification to be done. So not only classifying yeah. species, but classifying sex and things like this. And moreover, if we look at the summary statistics of this data set, 
we see that there are missing values. I think I already ran this on my screen, but there are missing values in this data set. And yeah. that's really important for students to see. It's important for students to uh, know that real world data is incomplete almost mm -hmm. always, right? Yeah. So in the IRIS data set, from the standard ways to load this into Python, it's, it's very cleaned up. I like that this way, which from what I can tell, PalmerPenguins.jl is the only way to load it into Julia. It loads it in as a CSV file, and then also there are missing values there. So the students get to, get to see that firsthand and have to kind of deal with it. But there's sure. not too many missing values, so it's not going to confuse them too much. They can literally just drop the missing values and do their their machine learning exploration and be just fine. Yeah, but they get to see that step, so that's good. Right, right. right. They get to see, and then if they try to do like mathematics on that data without getting rid of those missing values, they're going to get all kinds of errors. So that right. it's like a it's a it's a really important like teaching lesson for them. Absolutely. And then um, so just like looking at the data, we see that between the three species, if we were looking at classifying the species based off of like bill depth, bill length, or body mass, or what the, one of like two of the different uh, measurements on the, on the, the, the penguins, uh, at least in, in the case of bill length versus bill depth, I see that this is very similar to the iris data set in that two of the species are very clearly linearly separable, which is a, something that's nice to illustrate uh, classification algorithms, binary mm -hmm. classification algorithms, when you're first starting to like teach or learn machine learning. And then out of the three species, though, two of them overlap, right? So that makes yeah. classification a little bit more difficult and how you deal with that. So again, from an instructor's point of view, it's very similar to the Iris data set, but with a little bit more to it. Yeah, and by that, cool. I mentioned earlier that there's species, right? We can try to classify on a given species try to classify male versus female. And if you look at that data, then it becomes like really interesting because then you have to take into context the measurements that you're looking at. And it, it, it kind of illustrates that in machine learning, some type of small domain expertise is needed to really look at the, the correct features to differentiate things. On my screen right now, I have flipper length versus body mass. Now, that was just a guess that this would be the easiest way to differentiate these the sexes of this given species, in this case, the Gentoo penguin species. But if I would have done the uh, the other measurements on the bill, it would have been much more overlap. So you have to think about, well, the data set makes you think about, it makes you think about what features you choose to use in your model, right. which is kind of hinting at domain expertise when you get it out into the real world. Sure. And then finally, there's the islands, right? Like if the, the third category measurement on this data set is what island do the penguins belong to? So on the screen in front of me, I have a scatter plot of the Adelie penguin species, I suppose. And they're colored according to what island they live on. And it's just a mess. They're all over each other. It's completely stacked on top of each other. And any hope of classification on this seems very difficult, but it would encourage, I hope, my students to think about it, are there ways to possibly differentiate between these species and i just i hope that that the instructors out there and the people learning machine learning will go ahead and add this package to their julia installation and play around with this data set and learn on this and take a step away from the iris data set not, not that i think the iris data set is a bad data set i just think that the palmer penguins data set is a it's richer there's more to explore 
One last note is that if you isolate a given species, for example, on my screen, the Gen 2 species looks like it would be a good species to regress on. So uh, regress on the build depth in terms of the building. So you can also do regression in this data set, like most other data sets. Yeah, but, yeah, I like it. Lots um, to, so lots much, to do with so it, much. yeah. And I hope you, David, you like, because you're really starting out on Julia and you know a little bit about machine learning. And yeah, I, I hope that this is the data set that you use when you, you start like playing around with testing ideas and algorithms and plotting things and stuff like that. Well, I'll, I'll do it then. <laughs> so um, what do you have up next? Uh, yeah. So the next topic I want to talk about is uh, the Julia package manager. And I know we we talked about this a little bit in the last episode, but uh, there's there's one feature in particular that I want to mention that I think is really cool. So uh, let me start by just saying that there was uh, an article I came across uh, by Logan Kilpatrick uh, called "The Most Underrated Feature of the Julia Programming Language: The Package Manager." And I don't have enough experience in Julia to to know whether or not that's really a true statement, if it really is that underrated, but uh, it's awesome. I love it, <laughs> but it does look really nice. Yeah. I've, I really enjoyed it. And, you know, I, I just want to say right off the bat that the way that Julia deals with environments is absolutely fantastic. It's such a drastic change for me coming from a, uh, a Python background. Uh, it just, it feels like environments have very first class support built into the language. And that's really cool. Uh, it's really clean, you know, the way that it works, making uh, your own environments for your project and things like that. But there's a one feature in particular about environments that stood out to me as being really, really nice that uh, I had not seen before. And uh, that at least, you know, in my five to six years of, of professional Python programming I've not seen done in Python at all. And that is environment stacking. So I don't remember if Logan mentions that in the in this article, but um, I'll throw a link to this article in the in the show notes so you can go read it. It's got a lot of good stuff just for the basics of using using the package. Uh, but as I dug deeper, looking at the uh, PKG, that's the package manager, right? PKG.jl, looking at in the in the manual, I came across this mention of uh, I was looking at a section called working with environments. And it mentions right in the very first paragraph, for more on the role environments play in code loading, including the stack of environments from which can be loaded, see the section in the Julia manual, like stack of environments, what is that? So I went into the uh, Julia manual and this is really, really nice. So if you've done any big, you know, like, I don't want to say real development, <laughs> that's probably not the right way to describe it, but the development of a large project, let's, let's put it that way. There's a lot that you need besides just the dependencies of your project, right? So you have things that you need for your project, some packages you want to install because you're using them in your project. And anyone that uses your project is also going to need those, their dependencies. But there's also stuff that you use that's just for development. So maybe you have a profiler to help you understand how your program is using memory, or maybe you have some static analysis tools or, you know, things, uh, testing tools, uh, that kind of stuff. And those are things that you want installed and you want to have access to while you're developing, but there's not things that you really want to distribute with your project when you give it to another, uh, to, a, to an end user. So there is a way to, uh, they're called environment stacks. And that is, there's a way to have like a base kind of primary project environment. And then you can have a totally separate environment where you have your development dependencies installed, and you can stack that on top of your project 
uh, environment while you're working with it and have access to all of those, those tools and everything that you need, but you don't have to sort of litter your project's environment with them and, you know, have it kind of become a, a mess and a tangle to, to deal with that. So that is a really nice idea. I think it's amazing that they've implemented that just straight into the package manager itself. And I won't go into a lot of detail, but just so the basic way it works is there is this uh, load path global that gets defined, that finds an environment stack. And uh, this is done every time you run Julia, this this happens, right? You get this, this load path global that's defined and you can uh, change that by setting the Julia load path environment variable. And so you can add, there's there's like a, a sort of a default value that is there. If, if you don't set anything on this environment variable, there's a default that gets filled in, but you can add stuff to it. I'll link to that section in the manual so you can see how this is done, but you can, you can add directories and other things to it. So you can point it to other places where it should be loading stuff. And uh, this is how you can stack stuff uh, together. So anyway, I just think that's a really super cool feature of the package manager. Uh, something that I had not seen done in the languages I've worked with before. And I just see it being a real benefit of, uh, of you know, working with in development. And, and I can't wait until you learn it so that you can teach it to me. Yeah, I can put together an example and, and we can, uh, maybe we can go through that uh, on another podcast episode or, or do a little video tutorial or something. Yeah. Not awesome. to not to say anything bad about the Julia documentation because I love it, but they they put in this foo and bar <laughs> in all of their yeah. examples, and it just reminds me of when I was trying to learn C like yeah ten years ago, and it just completely throws me off. So uh, yeah, you know, and it's not just <laughs> Julia. I mean, Pyth the Python documentation is full of that. I've seen it in. I mean pretty much every language I've ever worked with, C, C++, uh, Lua, you know, everything that I've worked with, you see that stuff all over the place. And I'm with you. I, I really, uh, you know, it's maybe it's, it's fine for experienced developers. Although honestly, I just don't like it. I just, I don't like the way it sounds. I don't like looking at it. Um, and, uh, you know, from my, from an educational perspective, I completely avoid it. Yeah. It's totally undescriptive. Right. And someone who is not super well-versed with programming and programming history and everything, it honestly causes a lot of confusion. That's been my it experience. It was honest. It's like, because I, I'm a self-taught, self-taught programmer, which yeah. a lot of you can probably, uh, catch on to by the way that David describes things versus how I describe things. I'm self-taught, so when I was trying to teach myself, reading through documentation with these abstract words like foo and bar and not knowing the history of it when I was first being exposed to it, was it, it was very discouraging yeah. and, and really like hindered me for a while. Um, luckily, I've, I've known David since I was an undergrad, so I would text him and he would often decipher things for me when I was in my programming <laughs> learning journey. Yeah, but, I remember lots of those conversations. But on that note, to transition, if you're done. Yeah, go for it. The way that I taught myself how to program was with uh, YouTube. There are, like, I started with C++. I went from C++ to Python after a student suggested to me, suggested to me that I should try Python. Went into Python, went back to YouTube for more help. I found many great accounts uh, such as Derek Vaness and uh, Corey Schaefer are two highlights for me for learning Python. And 
So when it came to learning Julia, I went to YouTube, right? But there really isn't that much content out there. There, there is the Julia programming language official YouTube page that has Jupyter notebooks on GitHub that go along with each of their tutorials, but that's not really the way that I personally learn. I like inter not interacting, but I, I like feeling like the person recording the, the, the educational video on YouTube is kind of talking back to me and being a little bit more playful and not so maybe try. I like a little bit of humor in my videos. Like yeah. Derek, Derek Bannis and Corey Schaefer, they both have humor, right? Yeah. So I've been kind of yearning for Julia content on YouTube for myself and to also give to my students for them to watch because... If I end up liking a video on YouTube that has programming in it, literally 90 plus students a semester will see it because I share all the YouTube videos I like uh, in class. And I just recently found a new channel. Um, I don't know when it was started. I can probably look it up, but it's called Julia for Talented Amateurs. This guy is really great. Before David mentioned the package manager, I found out about setting up your package environments through this channel. I was just watching one of his videos on, I think some statistical analysis of data. And before he did that, he made sure to include precise instructions about setting up an environment with isolated packages for that project. And I had not seen that anywhere done before. And I watch a lot of YouTube, like 60% of my day is YouTube in the background. And I also <laughs> own a lot of Julia books, which is probably the worst way to do it. I know, but I'm a big like reader when it comes to like, books. like holding a book, but Julia documentation is it's online, right? It's just, it's there. There's no need to really get a book, but for me, I like sitting outside enjoying a cup of coffee and just reading a book. That's an aside. Back to Julia for Talented Amateurs. This guy is great. He covers beginner lessons. He does uh, like data analysis types of things. And then he goes on to, he has two, he has four series, four playlists on his channel, one for beginners, one for data analysis, one for web tools, and then one for desktop apps. Now, oh, cool. I... I have no idea what the web tools will look like, and I have no idea what the desktop apps will look like. These are, to me, seemingly advanced topics, and I will be watching these over the coming months. I encourage David, hope you watch these with me. I think yeah. his explanations are great. He has a good sense of humor. He has a cute little, I don't know what that animal is <laughs> for his, his, um, his mascot, but he has a bunch of them. They're little bear fox looking things with headphones. Yeah. Um, and I, I love uh, on the thumbnail for his tutorial series zero one, like Julia for beginners, his little mascot looks sad. I don't know if y'all can see that on YouTube channel, but it's a little sad guy. And in his videos, he like also adds video clips from movies that are relevant to right. the, uh, the videos he's, he's, um, recording and then also um he includes memes i suppose so yeah. actually if you look at the the thumbnail for his julia for beginners video series i see a dog from it looks like um rick and morty yeah it is the dog from rick and, rick and morty okay. with the julia symbol like on one of uh, the shoulder pads of this robotic guy whatever but in, in any case i hope that after you hear this podcast you go and check out his, his channel Give him a like, give him a, give him a subscribe, keep him going because I think that he has a good cha channel going and I'd like to send my students to go watch his stuff and I'd like to keep on watching his stuff.
Cool. So David, what do you got next? Yeah. So the next topic I wanted to talk about, there's not an article or anything like that associated with it. It's just, um, you know, me going through the Julia docs and, and just learning about some stuff. So, you know, one of the things that I noticed as I was reading uh, a bunch of Julia code is you see if you're going to use a package, so you've installed a package in your environment and you want to use it in your code, right? So you see a couple of different things being done. You see people saying like using package name, not saying that they're coding it, right? They're typing it in. <laughs> yeah, uh, typing it out. You see uh, using package name or import package name. And I thought that seems a little strange. Why are there two different ways to import a package? You know, or two, not necessarily two different ways. There's, because in Python, there's many different ways actually uh, to import a package, but they all, there's only one keyword. There's the import keyword. Uh, so why are there two keywords uh, there? So I took a little, you know, detour into that, try to understand what was going on there. And I thought it was really nice. There's a couple of things I really like about the way this works in Julia compared to Python. So I'm going to give it kind of a Python perspective here, but just to kind of set the stage, right? So a module is something we use to organize our code into, into units, right? Uh, they could be separate files, uh, or you could you can even in Julia have multiple modules per file, the way that the module syntax works. But uh, it's a way for us to separate stuff, right? Each module has its own namespace, which is the collection of names and identifiers that are inside of it, that are defined inside of it, variables, function names, struct names, that kind of stuff. And when you when you import something into your program, you get that list of, you get those names or some subset of those names. Now, uh, one quick thing to, to mention here is that uh, modules can export only a certain like number of those those names. So there's this export uh, keyword that you can use to to export only the variables and function names that you want, or you know you could add everything to that list if you wanted everything to be there. But uh, the key point is when you use using. So if you import uh, a package uh, with using, it gives you the module name. You get access to that module name as well as all the elements that are in the export list. Use that so export. It's like, it's like a import star in Python. It's like, yeah, from module import star in Python, kind of. The, it's a little bit different because when you do that in Python, you don't get the module name with it. You just get all the stuff that's inside of the module dumped into your global scope. Okay. And uh, so that is a little, little different. So here you also get the module name. And anything that's not in the export list, you can still access it but you have to use name or module name dot and then whatever you want there that's not in the in the export list. But otherwise, if it is in the export list, all those names are now in your your scope in your global scope. Uh, if you uh, use import, on the other hand, the only thing it does is give you that module name into your the namespace that you're importing into. And so any, then in that case, you'd have to do the module path with the dot, right? To access exactly. Okay. Yeah. So. So those are kind of the differences, but the thing that I love about it is the way that it handles name uh, resolution conflicts. So if you have two modules and you that both have a function uh, called f in them, right? Uh, then if you say say they're called module A and module B, and you in your program you do using module A and then using module B, and they both have a function called f, and then later on in your code you go to use the function f, you call it, then that is going to give you a warning and actually an error as well. And it's gonna tell you that 
uh, hey, there's two modules that are defining F. I don't know which F to use. And then you're going to get an error saying that uh, F is not, uh, hasn't been defined. It's such a strange thing to think about. What happens in Python when you do that? So in Python, you don't get any warning. You don't get any error. And it's going to use whatever the, the last module that was imported. So if you have like, you know, from module A import star, from module B import star, they both have F in it. The F you're going to get is the one from module B. But here's the thing. I only know that because I looked it up <laughs> before the, before so the, like, uh, just thing. imagine what happens if there's two people working on like the same script. Right. And like importing from whatever that might have the same name. Yeah. Like that would be a big problem for like a larger project. Yeah. Especially okay. Which one? one yeah. Right. There's always this question of which F is it referring to? And I didn't like, I knew that it worked. I knew that something got imported and it was there, but I couldn't remember. Is it the first time you import it? Is it the second time? Which one is it? I, I will never, maybe I'll remember <laughs> it now, but normally I would, I would never remember those kinds of details. And that would be very confusing to me later, which is one of the reasons, you know, in Python, it's very, it's considered bad practice to do from module import star, unless you're working like in the REPL or it's just kind of a toy example, or you're just trying to illustrate something, but in an actual program that's, it's really generally discouraged that you don't want to do that kind of stuff. Now, I don't know what the best practice is in Julia, or if there is an accepted best practice rather. Uh, right, right. Actually, we should probably ask our listeners, like, what do you prefer import or using yeah, because maybe I we'll, see it. <laughs> maybe we'll throw a Twitter import, poll out there. Yeah, that'd be awesome because more often than not, I see import everywhere online in every single textbook or book that I have on Julia uses import. Whereas to me, to be safe, I feel like the using using module is much. It's it's more clear to the, the reader. Opposite of that, right? Oh yeah, so yeah, yeah. Sorry. Using yeah using, dumps everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and actually that so. The vast majority, I mean, over 95% of the code that I've seen uh, in Julia, it's always got, you know, using in there. Um, so from my perspective, you know, my gut instinct is going to be to use import uh, and keep all that stuff separate. I love keeping namespaces separate. I hate polluting my my, my namespaces with other <laughs> namespaces. It, I don't, it, I just, I it just rubs that, me the wrong way. I think that we've both been kind of like conditioned to be that way from Python, right? Like when, when you read a lot of really good Python code, you want it to be as clear as possible. And this should be for every language, but right. you want the code to be as clear and as readable as possible. And this helps when you're learning. So when I was learning Python, it was great because everything was so clear. Yeah. But when you're exposed to Julia for the first time and you just have like using some module and then these functions appear out of nowhere you have right. no idea if they're like in the like the standard exactly Julia is that a built-in thing you have, yeah right you have no idea where they come from and then you try to do that again on your own without uh, importing the correct module and you get an error and it just becomes a mess so yeah. I, I i get it for sure yeah so i like the but i do really love that that they've taken the time to you know and, and thought through that if you do use using and you have a, a collision of names and you have, you know, those two names are defined that you, it doesn't work and you get a, a warning. I think that, you know, is really good foresight on the part of the Julia developers there to, to do that. So anyway, that's basically, you know, I just, I, I was just really impressed with how well thought out that was. 
uh, on their end and uh, and just to get the deeper understanding of the difference between using and the difference between uh, import. There are a few other differences as well, but um, you know, we'll link to all the docs and I still and all that haven't you... figured out the correct way to to say it when I'm in front of a classroom and I'm lecturing, because when I say import this module, but I type using, but then there's also this other <laughs> import, right? It's really throwing me off. So any of you out there that uh, teach using Julia, please let us know um, <laughs> the right way to describe these things. I'm already bad with my words when it comes to describing programming, but this just makes it a little bit worse. <laughs> and um, but yeah, I think that 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 I, I'm glad that you found this. I'm glad that um, we've had our discussions outside of the podcast about this type of stuff. Yeah. And uh, I hope that our listeners enjoy it. And I think it's been a pretty good episode so far. And uh, I can't wait yeah. to our next one. Yeah, absolutely, man. Thanks for for joining me again. I love hanging out and doing this. And uh, it's going to be uh, yeah a good year of, of learning, Julia. So. All right, and man. also, I have to mention, while we have a little bit of time, that you and I will be doing a lot of learning with Julia this, this year. Yeah. Uh, you more so than me. And then at some point, you'll be teaching me everything. Uh, <laughs> Maybe. And I, mean... then, um, <laughs> I only have like specific things. I'm an academic. I'm not like a practical programmer, like, or like an actual programmer like you are. But as we're doing this, I'm, I'm, I'm curious if any of our listeners would want to just make educational content at some point. I'm not saying that I'm not saying that's going to happen at any time soon, because we have a lot of a lot on our plates. I'm going to start uh, lecturing tomorrow, yeah. <laughs> machine learning tomorrow. Uh, David, I know you have a lot of things going on, but if at some point you'd like us to start piecing together these things based off of our conversations, I just know and take that into consideration as uh, the year goes on. So maybe maybe in the summer or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, let us know. And uh, man, Randy, thanks for, for joining me again. And uh, I guess we'll, uh, we'll see you next week. See you. Take care. <laughs>